Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to uh, before and after Kickstarter uh, in this online uh, Gen Con, which I'm very happy we're doing. Uh, do some intros and then we'll, we'll get into the, the core of it. But I'm uh, John Ritter. I'm the senior outreach lead of Tabletop at Kickstarter. Um, I'm also one of the owners of Layways Games, uh, who makes games like Dragoon, uh, Humanera, Life Siphon, and some other stuff uh, upcoming. Cool, and I am Anya Combs. I'm the director of games at Kickstarter. Um, I've been in the games industry for a very long time. Uh, so I've done a lot of weird things in the games industry that has led me to my current role as running the games team here at Kickstarter. Awesome. Uh, so what I wanted to do with this talk was to hit on some of the uh, main milestones before and after a campaign, as a lot of folks tend to focus on the campaign itself. Um, we won't be going into depth about every aspect, but just making sure to touch on topics to empower folks uh, to ask more questions, do more research, and uh, kind of go going into and leaving a campaign with confidence rather than you know not knowing what happens once a campaign ends, which is never a good feeling. So. With that, uh, actually, with, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to pop them in the chat. Uh, if they're something I can see and get to during the during the talk, uh, I will. Otherwise, I'll try to log it, and then we'll get to it at the end of uh, the channel or the, the talk. So let's kind of get into it. Um, so I, I, game design, development, art, graphic design, all very core things. The first thing I wanted to kind of get into in depth a little bit uh, was building a community. So Anya, you've been here at Kickstarter way longer than I have. You've been in the games industry longer than I have. Uh, do you have some tips, tricks for folks uh, when building a community when they have literally zero? When there's nothing? Yeah. So I, I guess the first thing that we want to answer is why it's important to build a community, right? Like, why no. can't I just release my game and then people see it? Like, isn't that how that works? Uh, right? Uh, I just put my game in the store and it's on the shelves. Uh, and there's a lot of steps that kind of go, like that lead you to that ultimate step of what it is. Um, for the purposes of Kickstarter though, uh, the reason that building a community is important is because on the back end side of things, what we see is that uh, roughly about 70% of your pledges are gonna come in through a community that you build. So there's a very, very false uh, narrative that if you just launch your game on Kickstarter, everybody's going to see it and everybody's going to back it, right? At the end of the day, you're competing with up to 600 live projects just in the games category alone. So building that community before you come is, is really key. Um, Pre-COVID, there was a, a sort of, you know, rundown of what you did, especially at shows, which were really beneficial. Post-COVID, things are a little bit different. Um, but some of the pillars of how to build a community still stay the same. Uh, social media is very powerful. So uh, growing a Twitter community, growing a Facebook community. Um, Facebook is also a weird one where like, I kind of hate Twitter and Facebook. Like they're just terrible companies, uh, <laughs> but like they're important and you need to be a part of it or you need to have a community manager that's willing to be a part of it. Um, but not just having a Facebook for like your game or your studio, whatever it is, but also like participating in some of this, the discussions. Um, there are so many Facebook tabletop Kickstarter groups that you can kind of pick the one that you're most comfortable in. 
yeah. participating in those discussions. Um, in addition to that, you know, getting on Board Game Geek is kind of key. We see that Board Game Geek sends a lot of pledges to Kickstarter projects. Um, and then in lieu of in-person conferences, I would say Gen Con has a Discord. Um, Discord is a really, really powerful tool for games specifically. It's obviously much more used in the video game space. Um, my background is more in the digital video game space. So like I kind of come from that institutional knowledge. Um, but I would say having a Discord set up in lieu of going to actual conferences is like the best plan of action, right? So a lot of times there'll be like a promotions channel or, you know, a games, whatever it is, some sort of channel or server uh, that sort of replicates like going out and having your game play tested. If it's like on the floor, if it was like in a hotel, whatever it is, um, hotel lobby, uh, whatever the sort of like uh, space is for that. So being able to kind of showcase your game without actually, you know, not being able to buy booth, booth space or, you know, renting a space somewhere to show your game off. That's, that's one thing that I've noticed, like, uh, I, I was invited to the Finji Discord and like, it's like, perfect. It's great. Like it's run so well and it's so well organized. Mm -hmm. uh, another one I was, it was in that was like chaos, but seemed awesome was uh, for New Blood. And, oh yeah. Like <laughs> it was like nuts, but I was like, okay, sure. And like yeah. people, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows like what the next steps are for the tabletop community because it's such a tactile in-person yeah. thing. But it seems like Discord would be a great thing to shift to. Uh, it just seems perfect. It seems like. Yeah. I would just make a quick note about Finji and New Blood. Um, so, Finji, one of the only reasons Finji is so, uh, that Finji Discord specifically is so good, is because mm -hmm. of the people behind Finji, right? And so, Becca and Adam, who run Finji, are, they really put their, they put their money where their mouth is. Um, mm -hmm the brand represents them as people. And so they make sure that they hire people who are representative of them. So Harris, who is the Finji community manager, uh, Felix Kramer is also one of the community managers. Um, they are, they have essentially built a like network of people who kind of help manage everything. Right. Yeah. So, so much of having a discord that is functional and representative represents your vision, your voice, your brand, your game, whatever it is, is making sure that you have, you've built a team that has like, hits those pillars with you, right? Now, yeah. the New Blood Discord, I'm pretty sure Dave runs that and Dave yeah. is just, oh, yeah. <laughs> Dave is chaotic. I love Dave. He's one of my favorite people, but he's just pure chaos. Yeah. And so that being represented in that Discord is perfect because that's what that brand is about. I would also say like the Devolver Discord is a wild time. Um, so I think when it comes to Discord, the best thing is like it's the same thing as any other sort of platform. You're like, okay, I have Twitter and I have like 240 characters to say a bunch of nonsense. What other nonsense is everyone saying, right? So uh, curating the community to be representative of what it is that you want uh, and doing that by joining other Discords and seeing how people are kind of managing that is like absolutely key here. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point about building your team, which I didn't even have on my like topic list. But that's that's super important with with Lay Waste when we were building our company. We made sure we had two designers, we had an artist, and then we had myself doing like other things. And then Alyssa came in, who's awesome at just like organizing our community and now working yeah. on operational stuff. 
And like, so making sure that your, your company hits those pillars and is you're not left out in the cold on one of them. Cause if you don't have someone doing it, you're going to have to find somebody to do it eventually. Like you can't, like we, we, we outsource our graphic design because we don't have a graphic designer in house. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. It seems like Finji has like a really good close knit squad to like run their discord and build that community. Yeah. I mean, I think like, I think for the time being, I think the tabletop space is going to have to sort of model itself a little bit more on the video game space. Um, And I know that's not ideal. I know it's really hard to do like playtesting over a digital format. Um, But I would also say that like, I don't think anyone who's sort of struggling to find what that answer is, like, you're not alone, right? Like there's, this is a question that's being posed to a lot of different people. I don't know if anyone's really found the answer. Um, And I think some of it is so like game dependent, but that is the power of having a community space, like a discord to be like, let's kind of hash some of this out together. Hey, actually I discovered this thing. Uh, Oh, I'm going to do a zoom call. Do you want to jump on and we can play chess together, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, it's that sense of community that we like, you know, don't really have right now in lieu of like not being able to go to conferences uh replicating that online is like we need it we need to feel connected in some capacity yeah i mean we're so right now like i'm seeing games that are getting released like leader games did fort uh self affair jaws of the lion greater than games did uh medium like these are games that are being released during everything that's happening yeah and and, you know a year from now we're gonna see or even later this year we're gonna see games that have been developed designed and developed during now and like mm-hmm. really figure out what that that life cycle looks like because that it's kind of the first time everyone's done it so there's no like wrong answers uh currently. no no and like this is the time to be weird and creative right and yeah. like channel kind of everything that's going on into the art that you're creating it's totally fine yeah. uh so the next thing we can hit on uh building a community is one thing uh, making sure that you're prepping that community mm. for your launch. You're not just, hey, I have a community. All right, I'm launching tomorrow. Right. I, I think it's super important to let people know in advance on social media, through mailing lists, virtual cons, whatever it is, Discord, that you're doing that, that you're you're empowering those people, that you're, uh, I mean, CMON's a huge company, but I think they, they did it really interestingly where they had like a 10-second trailer for an upcoming game, mm-hmm. uh, Massive Darkness 2. And I think that's, awesome that companies are tabletop companies are doing that and just making sure that people are psyched they're ready they're not psyched too far in advance like six months and they're not psyched a day before like there's that sweet spot of making sure people are are ready for the game yeah yeah uh and i think the answer to that is different for kickstarter versus consumer Mm. right like Yep. Kickstarter, we, we typically recommend like, you know, just kind of let people know like a couple weeks in advance. You don't have to spam people, but like yeah. doing an announcement like three weeks in advance, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to launch Kickstarter and then with a date attached to it and then a week before, like really push it. Um, yep. That's kind of key on uh, like your mailing list is, is going to be sort of your like most valuable player there. Um, for consumer, I think that is more there's a lot, there's several factors at play with that, right? If you're indie versus like you're working with a publisher and then even then, if you're working with a publisher, are you talking about the game being out at like Target or Amazon or, you know, at a store, right? Which even that is a totally different space right now. Yeah. Um, it's all, there's a lot of different factors that kind of go into that. Yeah. Well, one of the, 
uh, and you asked me this question yesterday, so I'll ask you this question today. Yeah. One, of the, one of the things that you can use to prep your community is your pre-launch page. Anya, what's a pre-launch page? <laughs> <laughs> Good question, John. Thanks for asking. Uh, <laughs> your pre-launch page is a new-ish feature on Kickstarter. Uh, so once you have your project approved uh, and before you actually launch to go live, you have the opportunity to have a pre-launch page. Your pre-launch page is a page that is the URL that's, that will be used once the page is actually live. So the URL will stay, right? So uh, in the past, you'd have your preview page and that would basically be the URL that wasn't live. But then once that, once you went live, that URL would automatically redirect to a live project. Um, you could still do that if you want to grant access to people to see a little bit more of the page. But the pre-launch page specifically is basically one graphic, uh, a sentence at the most, maybe two sentences, that kind of explains what the game is, right? So that would be like your sort of subheader. And then you have a follower count. Your follower count is viewable by the public, but it's only viewable as soon as you get 10 followers. So if you have less than 10 followers, no follower count will be seen. Anything over, you can see the full amount. Um, it's super effective just to kind of see like, okay, I have a hundred followers and I know I'm probably going to get about roughly a 12% conversion rate. That's typical on Kickstarter for, for that. That number I, I sense will fluctuate just because um, it's such a newish feature that like that, that number is going to change as we continue to kind of like collect data on that. Um, but you're like, great, I need a thousand followers for whatever reason. You can kind of set some metrics to kind of like meet those deadlines. Um, but I would also say there, I don't remember if it was Frosthaven or uh, Resident Evil 3 that did this. I think it was both. Um, I know Resident Evil did it. Uh, I think Frosthaven did it too. But on their pre-launch page, they also used it as sort of like a countdown clock. So every single day, the graphic changed. So it said like 25 days, 24 days, right? And so it's another powerful tool for you to kind of like generate buzz and excitement. Yeah, yeah it's it's been super helpful for games I've worked on, um, just seeing that number go up. It's a, it's a nice little confidence boost and we've used it to make sure we're launching at the right time as well uh, as like a, a pressure, uh, a pulse test. Yeah. Seeing where, where things are going. Um, so I, it's, it's great. Um, I highly advise folks use it. <laughs> uh, all right, so pre-launch, you hit launch, the whole campaign happens. We'll just gloss over that. Uh, campaign ends. Now, you can be in one of two states. You can either be funded or not funded. Mm -hmm. uh, I have never, I mean, I, I recently started a Kickstarter. I think everyone internally views it this way as well. I, I never view not funding as a bad thing. It's just, yeah. it's, mm -hmm. it's a learning process. Mm -hmm. You gained fans. So like, let's say you needed uh, X amount of dollars, which means you needed 500 people, but you got 400. Uh, you still have access to those folks. Mm -hmm. You can still talk to them. You can still give them updates. Uh, you can still engage with them. And now you have folks that are interested in your game. You know it because they were they were going to back you. Uh, if you launch another campaign, if you try to decide to relaunch, you decide to wait, you can keep them informed. You can let them know down the road. And then when the campaign goes live, they're they're part of your community. You've you've used your campaign to build that community. Um, and I, I was I was wondering, Anya, what 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 ways you've seen people use campaigns that haven't funded in mm -hmm. Uh, positive ways. Yeah, I've seen it done a couple different ways. Um, yeah, this is kind of my big like selling point. <laughs> Just in terms of like, I don't believe that uh, a campaign that funds that doesn't fund is a failure, right? Like some people are like, Oh, I failed on Kickstarter. I'm like, you didn't you just have a campaign that didn't fund so, like, 
failure is a totally different discussion because um, you have the opportunity to relaunch, right? Like it's fine. It's, not, it's truly not a big deal. People, your backers don't really care. Your community doesn't really care. Your community is there to support you. So like, they're like, great, come back. Let's do this again. Um, I, but, but to answer your question, um, I've seen it utilized a couple different ways. One, I've actually seen projects, um, and this is, again, is much more in the video game space. I, I am struggling to think of when this has happened in tabletop, but I'm sure that it has. Uh, I've watched campaigns that don't fund end up getting a publisher. Um, you know, someone sees the game and they're like, I really believe in this. This is definitely something that like deserves to be seen in the world. Uh, so a publisher picks it up. Um, I've seen people realize, you know, they're like, wow, uh, I didn't have enough of a community. I didn't, I just like, didn't think I had a bad launch day. So many different factors as to why projects don't fund. Uh, they relaunch and they immediately fund that I've seen a ton. Um, I've also seen people realize that maybe they need to like up their quality of what the game is. Maybe that's gameplay. Maybe that's, you know, art, maybe that's any sort of factors here. Uh, so taking that time and that necessary time to have a little bit of self-reflection where it's like, if you put your art out there, you put the thing that you want to get made out there and you have people, you have some people say they want to see it and some people be hesitant about it. That is such a powerful thing to realize versus I sunk all this money into thing, into this thing and it didn't go anywhere. Right. Yeah. Like the community side of it of the community saying, we believe in this, but it's not ready. Uh, that's so much better than coming out with something in your community being like super hate that you did this, right? Like having that opportunity to do that reflection to then like reassess what the thing is. Oh my God. Like so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's stressful um, for sure. Every time you watch a campaign, it's stressful. Mm -hmm. You put your game, if you put a prototype in front of somebody, it's stressful. Yeah. It's all stressful stuff that is okay. Uh, it's part of the process. Um, and you know, ju just like everyone gets over, you know, my game is made of just paper, like white paper, just with writing on it. Mm -hmm. You get over that. It's the same thing when you're launching a campaign. If it doesn't fund, it's the same thing there. Like it's all stressful stuff. But in the end, you're 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 doing the thing. You're you're building the community and you're you're showing people what you've made, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so that's if you don't fund. So if you do fund, uh, next thing is now you have this community. Now you have to foster, take care of, communicate with this community, give them regular updates. Super important just so people are informed, they feel comfortable. Uh, but you also want to get information from them so you can fulfill. So there's different ways you can do that. Uh, through Kickstarter, you can do surveys. Um, I was just talking with Anya about this. She's seen people do emails. You can do a pledge manager, people just posting files to links uh, with uh, for 3D file uh, campaigns. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything to this, Anya, but... No, I mean, I, I think it's... There's a couple different ways that you can fulfill your project. I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is to fulfill, right? And if you find yourself in a roadblock, especially now with shipping being weird in various countries and challenging and, you know, various reasons, um, also just, like, uh, delays, shipment delays, um, I think as long as you just communicate, uh, it's so much better than not saying anything. Yeah. Yeah, I've had campaigns where I've worked on that have been delayed by six months, eight months, but we just made sure that we were updating everyone every two to four weeks, basically. Everyone was informed. And of course, you know, people, some people were upset, understandably, but we just kept them informed. Everyone was pretty happy. Uh, so I think that's super important. Um, and with 
So send out surveys, you're prepping your files for manufacturing, manufacturing happens, uh, but the whole aspect of once your manufacturing finishes, first off, one thing I tell everybody is get lots of quotes. Um, yeah. If you're making a game, don't go to one factory, get one quote, go to three, four, five. I've, I've had people get seven quotes from different factories. Like get all the numbers, figure out, do all the math. Um, same thing goes for fulfillment. So there are tons of different fulfillment companies out there to help with worldwide, US, Canada, Australia, UK, EU, like all of those different folks. Um, I think it's super important to make sure that you're getting as many quotes as possible. You're, you're learning the process because right, right now there's a lot of weird stuff happening. Um, there's like in the past, people have looked at like EU friendly campaigns as with one definition or another. And now that's kind of changing because of the yeah. whole Brexit thing. And then laws are going to start getting enforced on like what you're claiming for your VAT and your taxes. Right. And there's so much complication happening right now that it's, very important to just make sure you're talking with your fulfillment companies, you're, you're getting the, the answers that you feel comfortable with, and then going forth to your backers and explaining that. Um, yeah. I, so shipping is one of those things, fulfillment is one of those things where that can get you into a place where you just don't have the money to get the game out there because you just may, maybe didn't talk to enough folks and get enough numbers and get enough knowledge. Uh, so ask all the questions. Even if you, if, you feel, if you feel uncomfortable in any way, ask yeah. the questions. And if you feel like you're being annoying, just tell someone, listen, I'm sorry I'm bothering you, but I still have more questions. It's totally cool. Um, I would also add to that, like another thing to think about is talking to other creators about their experiences yeah. with those companies. Yeah, 100%. Yep. I, I, that, that's, I mean, with all of this, this, that's a really good point is I personally have always been reaching out to folks, talking to folks, getting opinions, because I, everyone starts knowing zero. We've all yeah. been there. Yeah. And it's totally cool. It's, mm -hmm. If you don't know what's happening, you're not expected to make assumptions. I've just walked up to booths of game designers that I, I, I knew when I first started and just said, hey, like, I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? And nine times out of 10, like, they'll give you time of day. They'll give you a, a reference, something like that. The, the community at large is, is very accepting, very open. Um, and I think that, that asking questions is the best thing you can do mm -hmm. uh, of yourself, of, of your partners, of folks in the community. It's, it's super important. Um, so after you fulfill, uh, now you're at the point where one, I think you should not stop throughout this entire process. You shouldn't stop building your community. You should still be uh, going on social media, mailing lists, virtual conventions, you know, just because the game is funded doesn't mean all that just like stops. Um, you're now you're now in it, and I think it's important to make sure that people are informed. You can you know if you if you have the ability to collect pre-orders, you can do that. Um, but don't stop building your community. Keep talking to people, and then keep fostering your backers. But now you have the choice. You have uh, potentially some games. If you decide to order a little bit more, what do you want to do with those games? And there's different things. You can try to get into distribution. You can talk mm -hmm. to Tabletop companies like uh, Alliance, ACD, Lion Rampant, there's a whole slew of them. Um, and even that is in a weird place right now, as everyone knows. So <laughs> that's that's yeah. something to greatly consider. Um, but then there's con sales, virtual con sales, right. uh, website sales. There's a whole bunch of different ways to do it. And I think this is a point where the tabletop community, amongst other areas in here, but just virtually selling to folks is going to learn a lot from uh, the video game community mm -hmm. because they're 
typically like I know with companies I've worked with, con sales are a huge thing, in-person con sales. And now that that currently is removed, uh, finding ways to to get those games up on your site and get them out to folks and market them is is super important. Um, I don't know if you've seen, Ani, have you seen like ways that folks can learn from, from video games or ways that there's been some crossover points? Um, I mean, I think that the biggest thing is like, it's just digital advertising, right? So if it's through Twitter, if it's through just buying ads on like Facebook and things like that, um, yeah. it's a, I think it's a difficult one-to-one ratio um, just because at the end of the day, a video game, unless it's, you know, like a, a physical game that you want to buy that you could just get at like GameStop or something, right? Like Last of Us 2, everybody was like, oh my God, I get the, I get the thing. Um, it's primarily all digital. Uh, so it's a little bit more challenging because like if you have a game that's like, well, it's out on Xbox, right? Microsoft is going to do some promotion for it. I yeah. don't know if that's necessarily a one point. Like I think if you, I hate to use Amazon as an example because Amazon's a terrible company and like we should not be supporting them at all. Um, yeah. But like, I think that there are deals structured where Amazon might help promote your like project on Amazon, but I, I'm pretty sure there's like fees associated to it. And like, I'm happy to be schooled on that. That's totally cool. If I get called out for not having the right information. Like I'd rather have the correct information out there. Um, but I, I still think it's a little bit of a difficult one-to-one ratio. Yeah. Yeah. Ads are a whole other beast for sure. Um, uh, a lot of people often will drop too much money in ads. And I think it's, it's a testing ground where you need to go into it with a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of humility and, and go slow, uh, yeah. you know, throw $20 at something and see what happens. Don't throw $10,000 and not know exactly how it's working. <laughs> well, learn. Also, there's, there's companies who specialize in digital advertising too, right? Like that's the other thing is like, you don't have to go alone at it. There yeah. are companies that this is their entire livelihood, right? So something to keep in mind. Same yeah. thing though, like do your research, ask questions, talk to people that have used them, same thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to touch on before we started to answer some questions was uh, using the success of your first game if you were funded uh, or you know, a, of a campaign that wasn't funded to segue into your next game. Uh, so figuring out a way to, to maximize that because it, it's possible that you just want to do one game and that's it, you're done. Totally cool. It's also possible that you want to do one game and now you're like, oh, I want to do a second game or I want to do that first game, relaunch it. Uh, I've seen a lot of folks uh, being aware that they want to do that second game. And I think being aware of it early on is important because yeah. then you can build that into both your social media channels, your mailing list, like you can tease things out while you're talking, while you're fulfilling the other game, at, while you're at cons. Like if you release a game on your website or at a con, whatever, making sure that you're teasing out that new game while people are buying that, that current game. So people know like something else is coming. Um, I don't know if you have what your thoughts are on that, Anya. Well, I think when it comes to Kickstarter, the power of that is through your updates um, because you can post updates about either teasing something that's going to be coming or uh, if you know it's coming and you have a date secured, uh, posting an update to be like, this is the day of the launch, post that pre-launch page that's now an option, and then uh, immediately post an update as soon as it's actually live to that direct people straight to that next project. 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's what, Frosthaven, that's what Frosthaven did. We saw that like a huge number of people uh, who backed that campaign is because they knew it was coming based on the Gloomhaven Kickstarters. And we're like, oh, great. It's live. I'm going to go, you know, I, I see that they posted an update. I'm going to, I'm going to go uh, back Frosthaven. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the crossover between, you know, one game and the next from your own company is massive. That's why yeah. it's so important early on to build that community, to get people understanding of like what your tone is and get them into your stuff. Because then they're just going to be like with Lay Waste, we have people that are because of our Kickstarters, they, they know us better. We do updates. We're very upfront about like how the, our, our tone and the type of people we are. Yeah. And those folks connect with it. And then when we have a new campaign, we see a lot of crossover there because we've been updating them on Kickstarter. We've been in the comments, responding to comments, which some people don't do. I've seen do that. You should do that. Yeah. Respond to comments. I, it's, it's, it's a hassle sometimes. I get yeah. it. <laughs> it's a huge hassle, but it's very, I mean, people, people respect it. People are grateful of it. Responding to messages. You know, it's, it, you're having conversations with these people. You just happen to have, 50 conversations at once rather than, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we have some questions that I want to get to. Um, so someone said in the seminar yesterday, you said you love hearing from people getting ready to launch. What information is most useful uh, for us when folks want to reach out? Yeah. So there's a couple of things that we will ask everybody. Um, when do you want to launch specifically when do you want to launch your Kickstarter? Uh, I, I always forget to specify that because people have been like, Oh, my game's going live on this day. And I'm like, no, no, no. no. I want to know when your Kickstarter is launching. Uh, so knowing when your Kickstarter is going to launch, uh, what your funding goal is going to be. And also if the answer is, I don't know to any of these questions, that is totally fine. I'd prefer you to be honest and say, I don't know, so we can talk through it together versus you just like coming up with something. Uh, and three, how big is your community? Yeah. Those yeah. are the, the three things that we will ask every single person. Yeah. And it, I mean, I've been on calls with you and we've talked to creators before and I've heard this myself uh, in the past where people have come to me, I've gone to other people, they've said, how big is your community? And I'm like, oh, like we have a hundred people on a mailing list and that's low. Uh, depending on what your goals are, right? Like if your goal is to get $100,000 and you have 100 people on a mailing list, that likely isn't going to line up. Well, I would also say that uh, a community is sort of all encompassing. It's not just one avenue, unless that is like, I, you have this mailing list that's like, like if someone's like, I have 3 million followers on YouTube, I'd be like, that's probably where your community is. Um, but think about that, whatever that number is, right? If you're like, well, I have 100 people on my mailing list. Well, how many people are following you on Twitter? How many people are liking you on Facebook? How many, like, what about your friends and your family? Uh, how many, and in terms of friends and family, people you know that are going to back your project, right? Like, yeah. hopefully, hopefully family members will back your project, whoever they are. Um, Sometimes they don't. I've had family members like, I'll definitely back it. And then they don't. And I'm like, come on, aunt, whoever. Like, why didn't you back my project? <laughs> Which is totally fair. I totally get it. Like, it's all good. Uh, but don't just focus on one space as your community. Think about it as like a holistic thing. Yeah, agreed. Uh, next question, and Anya, you'll know this exact number, I'm sure. How long does approval normally take and what is the criteria to be approved? Uh, approval can take up to seven days. Um, we want to see, okay, so also just to take a step back of like what exactly the approval process is. So the approval process is not to police for 
content in terms of things that we don't like, right? Um, Kickstarter as a company is uh, relatively progressive in our views, right? Like we have the Black Lives Matter uh, plastered on the site right now. Um, we are actively working on um, ways to help uh, defund the police initiatives. Um, very progressive in that sense. That's not to say that we're going to like um, restrict any sort of differing opinions as long as those different opinions are not rooted in any sort of hate speech. So the only time that we're going to police for any sort of content is if there is hate speech, right? Uh, we take that very seriously. We take racism, any anything that is in any sort of bigotry of any kind, we, we take it very seriously. We won't allow that type of behavior or that those types of games on the site. Now that does happen, things do slip through. Um, but we, this is also why we look to our community to tell us like, hey, by the way, this project is actually rooted in whatever. Uh, and we take those claims and we take those situations very, very seriously. There's like a full investigation, it's, it's no joke. Uh, so then why do we have to do approvals, right? Like why can't you just kind of launch anything and then if it's bad, you just take it down. Um, we also wanna make sure that people are not using the site incorrectly in the sense of um, using Kickstarter as a way to fundraise for charity, right? Like we're not GoFundMe, we're not Patreon, uh, we're a totally different sort of platform in the crowdfunding space. So making sure that our rules are, are adhered to. Um, and third, uh, we also wanna see that you've like actually created a project. <laughs> so, uh, and John, I know this has happened to you where you were like, well, I've already created like a couple projects. I'll just like push my project through to approval, but there was nothing on the page and it got rejected. Yeah. And I remember you texting me and being like, what's going on? And I was like, oh, you need to have stuff on your page, <laughs> right? And so that doesn't mean it needs to be complete. And uh, it doesn't mean that you need to have like every graphic and every piece of text and every video and every reward. That's not what we're saying. But we do want to see just a minimum amount, right? So like having a placeholder video is fine. Having some images, having some text, having a couple of rewards, that's great. If your project is like 50% of the way there, I would say go ahead and submit it for approval. Um, Keeping in mind, if you are concerned and you want someone like John and I um, to look at your project before you submit it to, for approval, that is also totally okay and we are happy to do that. Uh, and then lastly, I get this question a lot too. So your project's been approved, but you need to go in and update stuff. You wanna add new graphics, you wanna add uh, new rewards, things like that. Do you need to then submit for approval again? And the answer is no. Once you've been approved, that's it. You are welcome to launch whenever you want. Awesome. Perfect answer, of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is this is an interesting question. So uh, before you launch, how would you uh, how would you know where to set your funding goal? Um, oh yeah, good question. Um, I, I I've seen a lot of folks uh, set their funding goals based on doing print runs of five thousand, ten thousand games. Uh, have 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 a few different scenarios in mind. Have a make sure that your print run is is low. Um, if that's what your goal is. Like if your goal is to just get the game out there, look to for companies that can do a minimum print run of 500, 1,000, have some different scenarios. Mm -hmm. uh, in the past, what I've done is I've looked at, when we, when we did our first campaign, I looked at, okay, one scenario is we get a small amount of backers and we make everything by hand. Next scenario is we go to do a minimum print run of 1,000 with a, a bigger manufacturer. Or next scenario is we can go to an even bigger print run with a, with a high-end manufacturer and we can afford to do that. Uh, so if you have those different scenarios in mind, you can actually set up your goal to, to fit whatever the lowest common denominator is. So if you're comfortable with like hand making a bunch of games, 
or like ordering from a US manufacturer that's gonna get you the games pretty quickly and you can do a low print run of like 250, then you're in a good spot because you can actually set that goal a little bit lower. And then once you hit certain um, uh, levels uh, on your, of your funding, you can actually upgrade that, that amount of, or that level of manufacturing. Uh, so that's how I approach it. I don't know if you advise folks otherwise on you. Um, no, I, at the end of the day, you are the manufacturing and shipping expert. And so I will look to you. <laughs> cool. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. Um, so, doo -doo -doo -doo. Uh, so this question is, I commonly hear how important building a community is, like how you stress as well, but uh, how do you build that community? As someone that's trying, just trying to start out with the first game, how do you get people talking about a studio that for all intents and purposes doesn't exist? Ooh, that's an interesting way to ask that question. Specifically, how do you get people to talk about a studio? Um, I would encourage you not to focus on getting people to talk about your studio. I would get people to focus on talking about your game. I think at the end of the day, that is more important than the studio, at least to begin with. Um, yeah. Vlam Beer, for example, Rami Ishmael and, um, Oh my God, I'm totally forgetting the other guy's name. Uh, it's fine. They're 50%. Uh, <laughs> like been on talks with them. Terrible. Uh, this is what happens when you age. <laughs> um, Vlambeer is notorious for a lot of different reasons, but it's the games and it's Rami that they talk about more than anything else, right? And so having that sort of connection also is because of the amount of time that they've spent building that studio. Um, so I would say a couple things. Uh, one, everything we said right in the beginning of community building, social media, Discord, mailing lists, things like that. That's a way to kind of build community. Um, but you also need to like engage with the existing community. I see this happen a lot, especially younger creators who just don't, they maybe are like nervous or anxious and there's like some kind of weirdness that happens and it's totally fine. Um, they'll like jump into Discord and be like, here I am and only talk about what they're doing because they're thinking like, I have to constantly be pushing, like I have to hype myself up, hype myself up. Um, and I get that and there's there's sort of a, a fine line. Um, but you also want to like, you know, it if, if you know that it feels good to have people say like, oh, I like your game, like you should sort of extend that same hand, right? Um, so you can start with smaller communities just to kind of practice. So if you're whatever sort of like your local area is, there's probably an IGDA, an independent game developers association of some kind. It's probably like a tabletop meetup, something, right? Uh, and so getting into the practice of engaging in existing communities to then be part of that community, sort of like college friend groups, right? You're like, I'm going to go to this weird, or in my case, I'm going to go to this weird music conservatory party because I'm a super weirdo. And uh, then I became friends with people. And then there were more music conservatory parties. And then there were gigs. And then there were bands, right? And so it continues like that kind of process. Um, so thinking about it in that sense, rather than just like, I'm not just going to show up with my horn and force myself into like a jam session. Like that's not how it works. Um, if I'm asked, that's great. But no. Uh, so get into the practice of like um, talking to people about their games. And then that kind of helps the practice of you also talking about your game. Yeah. Uh, to, to your first point about focusing on the game and not the studio, that's something that we did super early on. All our Twitter accounts, mm -hmm. play waste, all of our websites, everything was just Dragoon, Dragoon, Dragoon. And yeah. we didn't even really mention play waste games that much. And yeah. then slowly over time, we made that transition of our social media accounts, of our website, 
and kind of made the, the brand more prominent, but people only have so much headspace, right? Like they're going to remember the name of a game or your company, which one do you want them to remember? And if you're just starting off, you want them to remember the name of your comp- your game. And then yeah. eventually, if that does well, great, your company, sure. Um, but that's a really good point. Uh, any recommendation or guidance uh, for estimated delivery date? How do you recommend, uh, do you recommend a safety factor? Um, yes. I'm, I'm guessing safety factor would be like buffer. You think, you think that means? Yeah, yeah. so yeah, yes, 100%. <laughs> Um, it depends on like what, you know, if your game is, it depends on where you think your game is at when you launch and how far out you think you're going to need, you're going to need more time than you think you're going to need yeah. guaranteed, uh, like 25% more, 20% more. Um, you're, you're just going to need it. So I, yeah. I, I've said, I've always said ours a year, if not 13 months out and, and we kind of know what we're doing. So I think that it's, it's tough. Like sometimes like a year and a half is what you need. Um, I've seen experienced companies crank a game out in four or five months, but they're going into their campaign with almost everything done except for maybe molds and some polishing, but the game design is locked in. Like if your game design isn't locked in, you're going to need development months. You're going to need a a, a fair amount of time to, to get the game where it needs to be before you even start on uh, graphic design. And if your art isn't done, good luck you have a, a whole bunch more months to to, to tack in then um yeah. so how much do you is, do you think 20 25 is a fair buffer i tell people to add six months six months okay so that's like 33 percent probably if not yeah. more yeah. Yeah. yeah well so here's the deal too and like it's it's a it's a semantics issue it's an optics thing right it yeah. says estimated delivery date that doesn't say concrete delivery date yeah. And that estimated delivery date is what throws people off. People are like, you said this is coming out on this day because you, this said estimated April, 2021. It's like, no, it says estimated. Like <laughs> yeah. there is a buffer that's built in. Uh, and so people, people kind of get married to the idea of estimated being concrete delivery date. Um, so adding six months to that, just so people are like, oh, wow, you delivered early when it's like, no, actually I just kind of lied to you. Uh, <laughs> right. Like it's a little cheeky, but it makes people happy. Yeah. You can, tell, you can tell a white lie. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mental thing too, probably for your, possibly for yourself. Like if you want to not go through the stress of like, Oh no, I'm past my estimated delivery date, like throw six months on it and then you'll feel better. Like it's, yeah. it's okay to, to do some things to make like your own, your yes. own self, uh, relax that you're not blowing past an estimated delivery date. But this exactly. is where the communication comes in. Post yeah. Kickstarter, if you're talking to folks and your estimated delivery date is January, you end up delivering in July, but you're giving folks updates every two weeks, you're going to be fine. It's totally cool. Um, uh, how do we track down markers who have not followed through on their projects? Can we get our money back? Uh, right. That's a, <laughs> that's a hell of a question. Uh, so take a step back from that. Um, there, I, I hear this a lot of like, Oh, I, I backed a project. So it's, it's, let's see, let's see. How do I say this without completely being mean? Uh, so I understand if you have backed a Kickstarter project and it didn't deliver right now, if you've backed, let's say out of 10 projects you've backed, one of them didn't deliver. I understand focusing on that one project that didn't deliver. However, it does also mean that it's a 10% chance that the project's not going to deliver, right? Like you have nine projects that have delivered. 
Uh, and I say that because we, uh, there's an independent study that was done in 2015 about uh, how many projects on Kickstarter actually do deliver. And we found that about 90 to 91% of projects do deliver. So of that like nine to 10% that don't deliver, uh, it is rarely a case of people just taking the money and running, right? It's extremely, extremely, extremely rare that that happens. More often than not, it's, a, it's an issue of money mismanagement. So that's unforeseen fees. That's unforeseen just like financial things that happen. Maybe you didn't budget your shipping correctly. Maybe you didn't budget your manufacturing correctly. Maybe you didn't talk to John and actually like, you know, hash out some of these details before you created your Kickstarter project. Maybe your printer went under. Maybe your, your manufacturer, what, there's so many different factors that come into play. So not being able to deliver on your project is, um, again, something that is important to communicate to your backers, right? So can you get your money back for projects that don't deliver? This is where things get a little bit tricky. Um, at the end of the day, that is the creator's responsibility. The creator is responsible to refund anyone who requests a refund, but it has to, there's like a, that, that is a creator backer relationship. Kickstarter is unfortunately not a part of that. We are happy to have discussions with creators, but it is ultimately the, the creator's responsibility to fulfill. We say that in our charter, we say that on the website, like if you read through the rules, all of that information is laid out very, very correctly. Um, but again, it is a creator's responsibility to fulfill their project. If they are unable to fulfill, um, it is their responsibility to communicate that to backers. Cool. Uh, this is a good question. How, uh, how would Kickstarter work for creators outside North America or EU? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we are available in Australia <laughs> um, and Japan. Uh, we are not, I don't think we're available in any Latin American countries. I'm thinking, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, so we are, uh, we are limited in terms of countries that we are currently available in. Um, it's something that we're working on. It's something we are constantly trying to evolve on. Um, we will at, in September-ish of this year be available in three more countries, which is kind of cool. Uh, so Poland, Greece, and Slovenia will be available for folks. Um, if we're list, if if you're in a country where Kickstarter is not available, um, you need to create a bank account and a mailing address. It can't be a PO box, a mailing address of some kind in one of the countries that we currently are available. Uh, if you're if you're in a country that's not available to us, we cannot make uh, exceptions just based on the payments provider that we have. It's it's not a it's not a possibility. Uh, so. Opening, I know it. I know it sucks, but opening a bank account and opening a mailing address in a country that it that uh, is currently available. There's a couple different ways to do that. I, I I haven't heard about it in a long time, but we used to send people to this thing called Stripe Atlas, which um, basically allowed you to create like an internet company. Um, so you could have a bank account and a mailing address. I think in the U.S. Um, and, I don't know if we still do that, but I know there are companies like that that basically allow you to create like a bank account and a, um, a mailing address in the US. I think you can specify where you want it to be um, for tax purposes, which I totally understand. Um, but that's sort of the like second best option. Uh, so this, this, this is a little quick one. 
Uh, how often do, do you post updates? It, it, it's up to you. Um, I, I typically advise uh, at least once a month, if not a little bit. I mean, as, as you have information, it's good to communicate that to backers uh, after a campaign. Um, during a campaign is a whole different story. You know, that's, that's a, I would check live campaigns, see how folks have done that, see as you have information coming out. Um, but post-campaign, I mean, you want to keep folks informed as, as things are developing, let them know. Um, but if, you, if you're letting them know a couple times a month, I think that's, that's good in my mind. I don't know if you feel differently, Anya. Um, when your campaign is live every other day, post an update every other day. Uh, when your campaign is over, once a month is typically fine. Yeah. Uh, so this is a good question. Uh, is there a Kickstarter project that did something that surprised you in a good way? Maybe something that you didn't expect that changed how you would run a Kickstarter? Uh, for me, recently, uh, there was a campaign for a reprint, two, two campaigns, for a reprint of PAX Premier that uh, Drew and Cole, who run and own the company, the brothers, they ran like a 14-day campaign. And I was like, oh, I do not have the guts to do that. But they did great, um, and they—it was for a reprint. They were very—they knew what their scope was. They knew what their audience was. They were very confident in it. They—they they did their research, and they launched it. And I was like, "Wow, that—that that is very surprising. I didn't think that that would go as well as it did." Um, yeah. And another one was uh, Patrick Leader doing uh, Oath. Leader Games doing Oath. Um, he had uh, a whole talk about how he wasn't going to have stretch goals, how he made the game as best as he could from the beginning. And uh, I respected that, that approach of him just saying, listen, we did the best thing we could. Here it is. We're not doing minis. We're doing meeples. And this is the way we feel about it. And he put his, his feelings on Front Street. They put their feelings on Front Street. And uh, I respected that. And I thought that that was really awesome. Yeah, I, um, I always respect when creators say, I'm not going to do stretch goals uh, and give reasons why. Like, I just think it's, I think stretch goals are kind of abused on Kickstarter sometimes. Um, I think it's a really powerful thing, and I think people just don't use them correctly. Yeah, uh, yeah I would agree with you. Those those campaigns are definitely great. I just think also, like, it's a little self-serving, but I think just Zine Quest was really cool. Like, it's, it's weird and unique and interesting, and I think it's, like, it's brought a lot of creativity to the platform. Um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. All the prompts that we do are just kind of dope. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I made a campaign on my own for Make 100 and that was, that just prompted me to like, oh, screw it, I'm just going to do something little on my own and it was awesome. It, it was a really good experience. Um, you know, uh, another campaign that I'm just thinking of off the top of my head is uh, recently with Frosthaven, everybody, everybody was asking for minis for the monsters. Yeah. Isaac was just like, nope. Because <laughs> it would have been, I mean, not, not only the cost, it would have been, you know, hundreds of dollars if not more than the cost and probably the cost of another game in order to get minis uh i think that he the 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 money is like there and he still said like no because i just don't believe it mm -hmm. and i thought that was interesting uh, of someone with a, a captive audience thousands upon thousands of people that would buy a thing and he still said no and I, yeah. you know when, when creators do that and they stick to what their their thoughts are um, and their, you know, their beliefs. I think that's mm -hmm. super interesting. Yeah, stick uh, into your vision. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Have you have you seen other campaigns do that where they're just mm -hmm. you know what their vision is and they kind of stick to it? Any yeah. Answer? Yeah. I mean, anything that uh, any campaign that Luke does. <laughs>
his <laughs> yeah his video. Like, he's just like i don't care i'm gonna do what i want like it's <laughs> yeah it's Bur- incredible. burning wheel uh runs their through their campaigns on kickstarter obviously yeah and uh you know their latest campaign had a if I'm remembering this correctly, a minute long video of just music and a single image. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, yeah. <laughs> so good, it's so good. I think that is having the luxury of knowing that you have people that are that like having fans that are like, it doesn't, it, it's, we have a little bit more room to like do weird stuff, right? Um, and I think that that's a, you know, that's a luxury that they have that a lot of people have quite honestly. Um, I would say for the video game space, there was a game called Knuckle Sandwich and they didn't do any stretch goals and they like severely overfunded. They like, they made a significant, for video games, right? They made a, they made a nice chunk of change and they were just like, nope, we're not doing stretch goals. This money is getting used. And I was like, cool. Good for you. Uh, yeah. I recently for Lay Waste, we did a 30 second video for a Dragoon expansion because we were like, if you want to learn about the game, like go learn about the game, but otherwise yeah. here's, here's a 30 second video and you can read the page. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, it. Yeah. that's it. That's it. That's 100% it. I know um, recently the shivers around their stretch goals, um, they were very concerned <laughs> about, and understandably it's their first campaign about, uh, you know, getting into trouble with stretch goals and not yeah. like basically posting them haphazardly, not doing the research, so that was a campaign that definitely, uh, you know, surprised me in a good way that a, that a creator was like, listen, we're not exactly sure how to do this. So we're going to, we're going to do some stretch goals, but we're going to do them later on once we're in a better spot. Yeah. And that was very nice. And now, you know, they're about the, the campaigns live, they're about to wrap up, but I think that's, um, that was great to see someone say, and there were a lot of people like, where are the stretch goals? Where are the stretch goals? And like, well, we're preparing some, but we're going to do them, you know, when we know our numbers, we're going to do all the counts, everything like that. Like getting quotes is, again, this is the, that's something that I've seen a lot of people get into about uh, posting stretch goals haphazardly and just saying either one, like abusing stretch goals and saying like, hey, we're going to put this thing in, but it was already in the game anyway. Yeah. Um, that's feels gross. But, you know, just saying, hey, we're going to give you gold foil on the box and you don't know what gold foil costs. Right, <laughs> right. It's, so, yeah, it, a stretch goal at the end of the day should be an enhancement to the game. Something that you're like, if I had this money, I would love to be able to do this versus I just need, I want to meet some sort of metric. I've had people say to me, they're just like, I just want to have a million dollar Kickstarter. And I'm like, I mean, that's fine. Like if that's, if that's your goal, that's okay. But like, why, like, why is this so important? Number one, I understand if it's for accolades and whatever. Uh, And number two, like, what exactly are you going to be doing with the money though? Like, let's say you have, like you reached your goal, you got a million dollar Kickstarter, but like, what, what are you going to make? What is it? Why is the thing that you're making is so important to be out in the world and is worth a million dollars? Like that's the question that you kind of need to answer. Yeah. 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 It's tough. It's tough to figure that out. And to go just not harp on stretch goals too much, but if get your stretch goals quoted out with your game. Yeah. If, If you're quoting the game out, get those quoted out or just know like, Oh, we got a dice. We got dice quoted out. Let's, yeah. let's use that. Um, yeah. Those- We're not anti stretch goals. We're pro using your stretch goals correctly. <laughs> yes. Precisely. <laughs> knowing, your numbers. <laughs> knowing your numbers. Um, okay. It looks like we have a couple of minutes left. So I'm just going to post our, if it's comfortable with you on your, our emails. Yeah, okay. Um, so if for, for any questions we didn't get to, um, 
you are welcome here. I'm just going to post these in the Twitch chat. Uh, it's games at kickstarter.com, Anya at kickstarter.com, and Ritter at kickstarter.com. If you have any questions, if you have a, a campaign about to launch, if you're thinking about launching a campaign, if you just have questions that we didn't get to because I was trying to get to all of them, but uh, by all means, like let us know. We're here. We're people. We can we can answer questions. <laughs> we're real. I promise. Um, so yeah, that's that's all I got. Cool. Thanks, cool. John. Well, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you for Marcus for running the uh, the channel, and thank you for everyone for uh, asking questions and participating. Hey, everybody. Before we wrap up this episode, I'd like to take a minute to say thank you for tuning in. We hope you're enjoying the podcast from our interviews and actual plays to our rambling roundtable discussions. If you like what you're here and you'd like to support the show, we have great sponsors for you to check out. Birds of a Feather Coffee Company is a small batch craft coffee roaster and is our OG sponsor. They have three signature blends to choose from. The Morning Lark, which is a light roast. The Night Owl Blend, which is a rich dark roast. And the Hummingbird Decaf Blend. They also have the exclusive Legendary Brew, a nice medium roast coffee, perfect fuel for all those late night gaming sessions. If you use the code LEGENDS10, you'll get 10% off your order and shipping is always free. So head on over to tinyurl.com forward slash legendary brew or click on the link in the show notes. Thanks everybody for checking it out. We'll catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.